We are in the book of Romans and we have been talking about chapter 11 and some of the relationships between the Israelites and the Gentiles. And I, I just, in thinking about the Israelites and some of the things that we've been think, talking about with them, I was just realizing, man, they just really missed the point. They just, they just missed the point. And, and the, this is what Paul is talking about in this letter to the church at Rome. And, and he's saying, look, um, the promise was for everybody, but, but the Israelites, they've really been missing the point. And I, maybe you have missed the point on something before. I, I have missed the point on many things before. But, but one of the things that I missed the point on was Scrabble. This game. Uh, I... I'm an English major, and uh, when my wife and I first got married, uh, we played Scrabble, and I lost every single time, and it drove me crazy because I had great words, big words, long words, really good words. I used the letters to maximize the best words, and Teresa finally told me, look, the reason I win every time is because I'm focused on the points. And I went, but it's a word game. And she said, but if you want to win, you have to score points. It doesn't matter about the words. I just, I missed the point of the game because I was focused on the words. And that's what's happening with the Israelites here. They're missing the point because they're focused on the words. And so they're missing the whole point. And so when he's writing in the, the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 10, in verses 1 through 4, Paul is writing and he says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. He, he was saying, look, the whole point of the law was to point to Jesus. To point to the need for a Savior because we are incapable of keeping the law to perfect, perfection and being righteous through our actions. And so we need a Savior to save us from our sin. That was the whole point of the law. And they're missing the point. They have a real zeal for the law. They have a real zeal for identifying themselves as the people of the law and for trying to keep that law and being righteous, more righteous than anybody else because of their ability and because of their knowledge of the law and because they are doing their best to keep it. Therefore, they think that they are righteous and they have a great zeal, but in fact, they are missing the point entirely. The point is that it points to a need for a Savior and they're missing that. And therefore they are stumbling. And therefore they are falling. And they are completely missing it. So now we get to Romans chapter 11, starting in verse 7. That's where we pick it up today. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. Israel 
missed the point. They failed to obtain what they were seeking. What they were seeking was a righteousness, a holiness, a set-apartness. But they missed it because they missed the point. The elect obtained it. Those God has chosen for Himself obtained it. But all the rest of them were hardened against God because they were trying to perform to earn God's favor rather than depending upon God's mercy and grace. So the elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear down to this very day. Now, you read that and you go, well, that sounds pretty harsh. And it is pretty harsh. It comes from Isaiah chapter 29, where in Isaiah 29, verse 9, it says, Astonish yourselves and be astonished. Blind yourselves and be blind. Be drunk, but not with wine. Stagger, but not with strong drink. For the Lord has poured out upon you a spirit of deep sleep and has closed your eyes, that is the prophets, and has covered your heads, that is the seers. God has, has come in and because of the things that they have been doing, has, has given them um, a spirit of staggering, a, a disorientation. He's covered their eyes so that they couldn't see what was going on. The prophets uh, were not speaking to them clearly so that they could understand. He'd covered their heads so that those who had knowledge and wisdom were not pro- providing true knowledge and wisdom. Now, why had he done this? He goes on in chapter 29 of Isaiah to say why he had done it. In verse 13, it says, And the Lord said, Because this people draw near with their mouths and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me, and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men, therefore, behold, I will again do wonderful things with this people, with wonder upon wonder, and wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the discernment of their discerning shall be hidden. See this? This is the very same thing. Verse 13, The Lord said, Because this people draws near with their mouth and honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me, and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. It's the very same thing that Paul has been talking about in Romans. That's why he's referencing this in Isaiah. That he's going, look at this is the whole issue. It's always been the issue. From the time that God handed out the rules, handed out the law, this has been the issue. That they are trying with their minds to follow the commandments and teachings handed down by men, but their hearts are removed. It's just an outward thing. With no connection and no love. They're not doing this because they love me. They're not doing this because they want to be my people and they want me for for their God. They're trying to do it because they want to be self-righteous. Or they're doing it because they want to fit in. Or not get in trouble. How often do we just go through the motions of doing the right things? Because we don't want to get into trouble. Because it's what we think we should do. But our heart is not in it. I remember a a Calvin and Hobbes strip. Some of you already know which one I'm referring to. 
where Calvin's mom tells him he has to take a bath and he says no. And so she picks him up and she plunks him down and puts him in the bath. And he says something to the effect of, she can make me take a bath, but she can't make me do it willingly. In his mind, he's not complying, even though externally he is. That's the, the issue that we're talking about here. It's with their lips, with their mouths they draw near and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And the fear of me, the fear of God, is a commandment handed down by men rather than true knowledge of who God is. Rather than a true experience of God, they're just being taught these things and following these rules and it's all just this form with no substance. Therefore, behold, I will again do wonderful things with this people, with wonder upon wonder. Now, don't be confused. That's not a good thing. I will behold, uh, behold, I will do again wonderful things with this people, wonder upon wonder, and the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the discernment of their discerning men shall be hidden. Ah, you who hide deep from the Lord your counsel, whose deeds are in the dark, and you say, who sees us? Who knows us? You turn things upside down. Shall the potter be regarded as the clay, that the thing made should say of its maker, he did not make me? Or the thing formed, say of him who formed it, he has no understanding. It's all of this, this outside stuff. And they're going, but I, I can do this. And nobody's going to know. Nobody's going to care. They're, they've flipped things upside down and the, the created thing is putting itself above the Creator. And this is why there's this huge issue for them. That God is removing Himself from them. So that it goes on in, in verse 18 of Isaiah 29. In that day the deaf uh, shall hear the words of a, of a book, and out of their gloom and darkness the eyes of the blind shall see, and the meek shall obtain fresh joy in the Lord, and the poor among men, mankind shall exult in the Holy, Holy One of Israel. So up until this point, he's been describing how God is going to uh, blind them and harden them and remove his presence from them so that they don't understand. And the reason that he's going to do this is because they're pursuing their own righteousness, but their hearts are far from him. But a day is coming when that will be reversed. A day is coming when, it, when uh, the deaf will hear the words of the book and out of their gloom and darkness the eyes of the blind shall see and then the meek shall obtain fresh joy in the Lord and the poor among mankind shall exult in the Holy One of Israel. He's saying that, that if you understand what's going on, that when you humble yourself and recognize your sin, then the Holy One of Israel will be something of joy for you. If that's not the case, if you persist in your self-righteousness and trying to do it on your own, you're going to completely miss the point still. But there will be a day that the Holy One of Israel will come and He will bring redemption for those who are meek, for those who are humble, for those who are seeking Him in their repentance. So that back in Romans uh, chapter 8, uh, Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 11 
He had said in verses 7, What then? Has Israel failed, uh, Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking? The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear, down to this very day. And David says, Let their table become a snare and a trap a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. This is a a quote from uh, Psalm 69, where in verses 22 through 23 it says, Let their own table uh, before them become a snare, and when they are at peace, let it become a trap. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and make their loins tremble continually. You see, what's happening in, in Psalm 69 is, is that Paul is quoting from is David is writing the psalm of repentance. A psalm that says, God, I have sinned against you, but I am repentant and I am looking for your help. I am trusting in you. And because of my sin, I am being overwhelmed and I have these enemies that are against me. And in verses 12 and 13 of Psalm 69, he tells us who these enemies are. He says, I am the talk of those who sit in the gate, and the drunkards make songs about me. That's not good. The people who sit in the gate are the wise people, who are, are like the leaders in the area, and they're talking about David's sin. And so are the drunkards who are singing songs. Now, if you are a wise person sitting in the gate and you're being compared with the drunkards who are singing songs, there might be an issue there. Because what they're doing is they're going, Oh, David, he sinned. He sinned. We should really, we should, we should get him for that. We should tell him that that is not okay. We should, all of these things, they're, they're just talking about him, gossiping behind his back, tearing him down. And then the drunkards are singing the songs about how terrible David is. And David's going, I'm repenting of my sin. I'm repenting of my sin. God, I'm acknowledging my sin to you and I deserve this in part, but my enemies are going overboard on this. And my enemies are the drunks and the wise. God, I I need your mercy. Would you turn it back on them? I am the talk of those who sit in the gate and the drunkards make songs about me. But as for me, my prayer is to you, O Lord, at an acceptable time, O God, in the abundance of your steadfast love, answer me in your saving faithfulness. Answer me in your saving faithfulness. Redeem me. David is is, uh, putting himself in this place of humility, recognizing the need of forgiveness and the salvation of God because of his sin. And he's talking about these people who are against him. And now Paul is taking the context of Psalm 69 and he's bringing it forward and saying, look, this is where the Israelites are at. This is where they're at. They're at the same place as, as they were in Isaiah. When God was saying, look, you guys, your heart is not toward me. You just honor me with your lips, but your heart is not toward me. And in fact, they're even like those who are against David, who is repentant of his sin. No, he's not righteous in all of his works. 
but he is repentant for his sin and seeking the forgiveness of God, but those are uh, people are still against him. Because they're missing the point that the law is to drive us toward repentance and confession and a need for a coming Savior. And now he, uh, Paul is saying those, those Israelites are still there. They are still in this place of judgmental self-righteousness, believing that because they are doing the right things or because they are saying the right things, that therefore they are in the right position, but their hearts are far from God. And they are being judgmental and even enemies toward those who are trying to repentantly follow Christ. This is a not a good place to be. This is not a good place to be. In both of those situations, you have God drawing back from those people who are in that place that Paul is now describing the Israelites as being in that place. So what does that mean for them? Romans 11.11 So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? Has God allowed them to stumble in order that they might fall flat on their face and be completely rejected by God? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, then how much more will their full inclusion mean? Through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Now, if you remember way, way back to the covenant with Abraham, the promise of God was that Abraham would have many descendants, And they would be his people and he would be their God. And he would bless them and they would become a blessing to all nations. That that was the the promise of the covenant made to Abraham that that I will be your God and I will bless you and through your offspring all nations will be blessed. Now, Had they been following God the way that they were supposed to be, had they been acknowledging Him and glorifying Him, the Gentiles, the non-Israelites around, would have seen that and gone, how awesome is their God? Look at how God blesses them. Look at the way that the blessing has come to us. And they would be flocking to want to be a part of, of this nation that serves God to be counted among God's people. But instead, what's happening? They're disgracing the name of God. Because although their lips are saying the words, their hearts are far from Him, and so He's not being glorified, and the blessing is not being extended. In fact, they're quite exclusive and judgmental. Because they've missed the point of the humility that is supposed to come through the law. 
Recognizing that, oh, just like the Gentiles are not measuring up to the righteousness of God, neither are we, though we have it. And so we should have compassion toward them because we all need the grace of God. But they missed that. And so the Gentiles don't have this great witness, this great testimony of a group of people following God as they should be. And so what God has done is He said, okay, I'm going to focus on the Gentiles then. The the design always was to include them. But now God's people are not uh, following Him. They're not submitting to Him. And so now He's turning His focus to the Gentiles. But not so that the Israelites could fall completely and be completely rejected. Just so that as He turns His focus to the Gentiles, they might see now what the Gentiles are getting and want in on that. Originally, it was going to be the other way around. Originally, it was going to be that He would highlight the Israelites and the Gentiles would go, Wow, that's awesome! I want in! Include me! I've had this happen before where somebody comes along to a family reunion of mine and goes, that's cool. I want in on that. I want in on that. You guys got together for a family reunion and you spent a whole night singing praise songs to God and having communion together? Your family did that? Yeah. Yeah. Because that's the culture that my grandparents handed down and so we did that. And so we have had people come and visit family reunions and go, that's sweet, I want in on that. At the same time, I have cousins who don't want to come. They should be there. They're cousins. They were adopted in or born in. Why won't you come? I don't want to do that. Why not? What's wrong with you? You grew up with this. I know. And now I realize I don't want that. So the focus shifts. When we're talking about the Israelites and the Gentiles, the focus shifts to the Gentiles. And maybe now, if God focuses His energy on bringing the Gospel to the Gentiles, the Israelites will go, Hang on! What about us? It's my great hope in my family that we'll start inviting some other people in and we'll have a family reunion with non-family members in hopes that the family members will start showing up. And the same thing is happening here. By no means did they stumble in order that they might fall. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches to the Gentiles, then how much more would their full inclusion mean? Now, Paul says, I am speaking to you Gentiles. Inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means reconciliation of the world, what 
will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. Paul says in verse 13, now I'm speaking to you Gentiles because I'm, I am an apostle called to go to the Gentiles. Paul was called to go to the Gentiles. In fact, when he first started his ministry, he started to preach to the Jews, to the Israelites, to his own people, and they rejected him. And he went, fine, I'm going to go to the Gentiles then. It's the very same thing. It's amazing to me how the same thing that was happening with God and God's ministry and the way that he's describing it, Paul's going, the same thing happened to me. I tried to bring the message. I tried first to bring it to the Jews, to the Israelites. And they rejected it. And so now I bring the message to the Gentiles. But don't think that because I am going to the Gentiles that I now hate the Jews. Don't think that I have now completely rejected the Israelites. I have not. It's my hope that even as I preach to the Gentiles, that yes, Gentiles will be saved, but that at the same time the Israelites will become jealous. Well, they were bothered for sure. There were, there were Jews that were following Paul from city to city as he was preaching, trying to shout him down. And Paul just preached it all the more. In the hopes that at some point, the Israelites would get it. At some point, they would hear it and they would go, Oh! Hang on! We didn't follow God completely. We were in sin We needed a Savior. The prophets told us about that. And Jesus came and He's that Savior that they predicted? I want in. That's Paul's great hope. It's not to say that he's preaching to the Gentiles under false pretenses. He also wants them to win. He also wants them to be included in God's people. But at the same time, he's hoping for this byproduct, this blessing to overflow from the Gentiles now back to the Israelites. The ones from whom the promise had originated. Those descendants of Abraham who had first received the covenants. Because if the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so then also are the branches. You see, we, we had these covenants, these promises way back with Abraham. And these covenants were, were uh, repeated and refreshed through Abraham's uh, son and grandson, and then again through Moses, this, this repeating of it. And so we have God establishing for Himself a people, and that they're, it's all building up out of this, from, from this root. And He's going, now, anybody who is included into that, anybody who's brought into that, is also holy because that whole that thing was holy as it began. But, verse 17, if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, 
Do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Okay, now he's, he's giving us this illustration. Everything had come from, from the patriarchs and the, these promises to the patriarchs as God established his people and it grew up as a tree and God's people grew and it was the, the Jews and the Israelites, but, but not all of them were faithful. And so you have these branches of this family tree that are being broken off. They're not included in the reunions anymore. They're not coming around anymore. They're not participating as the people of God anymore because they're onto their own self-righteous things, their own self-righteous judgmentalism. And so they're, they're, they're being broken off from this tree. And many of the branches are being broken off of this tree. And, and now Paul is giving us this imagery that he says, but now we have these Gentiles who are being grafted in. So yes, some of the branches are being broken off, but now we have other ones being grafted in. Have you seen this before? The, the grafting in of branches? We have a, a, a tree at home. I thought about bringing it, but the last time I brought in a tree for this kind of illustration, I, I never heard the end of it, and so I didn't want to try again. <laughs> But we have a, a, a tree at home that's an apple tree that um, people have, have taken it and they have grafted in different kinds of apple branches. And so from this one tree, you have multiple branches coming off that have been grafted in. I think that the stump of it is a, a golden delicious. But off of that, you have a, a honey crisp branch and then you have a golden delicious branch and then you have uh, a, maybe a Brayburn branch and a John Gold branch that have been grafted into this tree and it works that's weird that's weird how does that work well, the tree trunk is alive, and when you, when you strip the, the branch just right, and you plug it in at the right place, and you tie it on, it grows together, and the nourishment that comes from the root fills the branches, and it produces fruit. And the whole tree produces apple fruit because that's what it does, but they're different kinds of fruit because they're different kinds of branches. And what he's saying is, look, now you Gentiles, you weren't a part of that root, this tree grew up, and you were not a part of that. You were just a branch on the ground. But God has taken you and plugged you in, in just the right way, and pruned you back so that now you have the nourishment that comes from the promises that God made way back when, that were fulfilled in Christ and extended to you. That's awesome. That's awesome. Because what he describes them is as a wild olive shoot. These are wild olive branches. And they were grafted into this cultivated tree. If wild olive branches can be cultivated, can be grafted into a cultivated tree, I think you could do that with just about anything. I think that's his point is look, all of these people that you thought could not obtain the promises of God, all of these people that you thought were lost causes, any of them could be grafted in. There's hope for any of them. 
And don't you think that just because you're grafted into this to this tree, that you are somehow better than those who have been broken off? Do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember that it is not you who supports the root, but the root who supports you. The reason that those other branches were broken off is because they didn't understand that. Those branches got broken off because they went, oh, I'm fine as I am. I will be my own righteousness. Give me the rules, I'll follow them. I got it. I got this on my, I don't need you, tree. I'm good as a branch all by myself. Disconnected, though. And suddenly that branch disconnected from the tree is lying on the ground fruitless. With no life in it. Because it didn't want the Savior that had been promised. But don't be arrogant toward those branches that are laying on the ground. If you are, remember that it's not you either who support the root, but the root supports you. And you will say, maybe, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. You might say that. You might say, well, yeah, but those branches were, were broken off so that I could be grafted in here. So now I'm better than those branches. Even though those were the original branches, I've been grafted in now, and so I'm better than those branches which have been broken off. So you may say, branches were broken off so that I may be grafted in. And that's true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. Because if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will He spare you. Don't make the same mistake as those branches that got broken off. Don't think, well, I'm a grafted in branch. I'm so much better than those broken off ones. You could break off. Just as easy. So don't get too proud and don't get too arrogant. The thing that keeps you connected to the trunk is faith. Faith that Jesus is the Savior who forgives you of your sin. And when you believe that in faith, you're hanging on to that branch, uh, hanging on to that trunk. So hold fast. Don't let go. Don't get broken off of that tree. Don't be like those other branches that are laying on the ground dead and fruitless. Hang on to that. Do not become arrogant in thinking that you will not become broken off. You could be broken off. If God did not spare the natural branches, neither will He spare you. Note then, verse 22, note then the kindness and the severity of God. What a great phrase. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. A lot of people want the kindness of God and not to acknowledge His severity. No, He's severe. For those who do not come to Him in faith, with humble hearts and repentance, they will be broken off. Severity toward those who have fallen. But God's kindness to you provided that you continue in His kindness. Otherwise, you too will be broken off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted back in. For God has the power to graft them in again. 
For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? And so we find ourselves as branches clinging to the trunk of Jesus, hanging on by faith with great hope because any branch could be united with this trunk. Any branch could be united with this trunk. Both those who have been broken off and those who have never been grafted in. Any of them could be grafted into this tree and so we have great hope in that and great humility. Great humility. Because it is not by our work that we have grabbed onto this thing, but merely by the grace of God that we have been grafted in. It is merely by the grace of God that we have been grafted in. And so as I'm thinking about the people that are around me, I'm thinking about many, some of whom I I look at and go, "Ah, they really should be Christians. They have had every opportunity. They grew up in the church. They know this stuff. They really should be Christians. I can't, I can't figure out why they don't believe. And others that I look, look at and go, boy, I could never see them as a Christian. I just, I don't see how they could ever believe. They seem so hard toward God. And I read about this and I think, man, God could save any of them. God could save any of them and grab them and plug them in and graft them into this tree of Jesus. This one whom in Colossians chapter 1, verse 19, it says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. That is what we believe. That the God of heaven became a man and died on a cross for our sins so that we might be forgiven of our sins. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has now been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. This morning we get to celebrate communion together. Communion is a a reminder of the promise of God made long, long ago as fulfilled in Jesus. And the reason that we do this each month is as a way of remembering what Jesus has done for us and as a way of uh, reminding ourselves that we are not to shift from the hope of the gospel that we heard but remain stable and steadfast 
in faith toward him. And so I would invite you this morning, if you uh, believe that Jesus is your Savior, has come to save you from your sins, then I would invite you to come and participate with us in communion. There is a table at the back uh, with bread and gluten-free bread and uh, drink, and there is one here up at the front. And um, I would encourage you during the next song to come either here or there and take it and bring it back to your seat, and then I will come back up and we will uh, all take it together. But now let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we, uh, we are thankful for your promise made long ago. A promise that says that you will be our God and we will be your people. And that through the offspring of Abraham, all nations would be blessed. Father, we are thankful for that blessing be ex- being extended beyond the physical offspring of Abraham. And we are thankful for Jesus, the ultimate offspring of Abraham, through whom all have been blessed. And we celebrate this morning our forgiveness and our salvation in him. Amen.